there's just no time to stand up and look in the future, understand the strategy, understand where you're going, look at the values, look like things that are strategic. They're just, you know, they became a vet and then they're in this putting out fire mode all the time with everything that's falling on them. And now that there is way more pets than vets out there and through COVID making them look worse. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Whisker Talks, the veterinary marketing podcast from Whisker Cloud. I'm Adam Greenbaum, CEO and founder of Whisker Cloud. Today, I have Ivan Zach, the CEO at Galaxy Vets. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. Thank you for having me. Of course. Now, listen, I keep these podcasts light. No one's ever told me they're leaving in one hour to go on a Disney cruise with their two and a half year old <laughs> right before we hit record. So I feel like, uh, so if I start talking fast, everyone out there listening, I'm worried about him getting to the airport, getting on this cruise, doing all of that stuff. But anyway, glad you're here. Thanks for being here. If everyone out there is listening, I know I talk about my wife being a Disney adult. Hopefully by the time she hears this, things will calm down and she won't ask me to go on the same cruise. So that's exciting. That's what I usually tell about my wife. I hope she's not listening to my podcast, which I know she doesn't. So <laughs> I, can do, I can say whatever I want. So you're the CEO at Galaxy Vets, and we're going to kind of talk about that. But really quick, why don't you just, you know, for those who don't know what Galaxy Vets is, why don't you just give us like, what's the elevator pitch on what you're building over there? Yeah, you know, I've been in the vet industry for a while. I'm a vet by trade myself and pivoted from being a vet, burning out as a vet, to then having to leave the industry for half a year because of that, coming back and then working more as the relief vet and then pivoting into software, build the smart flow software that helped to optimize workflow in the veterinary hospitals. And then I've been at IDEX because we sold it to them. And then we decided to consult consolidate. So all of that experience I accumulated and I was really focused on can we find a way to manage hospitals better? And with one view on it specifically, can we decrease the burnout? So I had that passion and I thought that I could probably do it at scale if we worked with the consolidators. So for last, well, not last year, but before three and a half to four years, we've been working with consolidators and I had this amazing idea of how to manage our organizations with people in mind, especially with the burnout rate and lack of talent, lack of doctors, lack of technicians. So I thought that it could be a teachable methodology of how to do that. And in three and a half years, we realized that we majorly failed to do so because no one gave a shit about people. <laughs> so everybody was just looking at the finance. And it's a funny thing. When you read, you know, classic business literature about the balanced scorecard, and that's something I think that was implemented first in like, I was just uh, reading about, I think, 1990s. So finally, people said you can't manage organization looking just at P&L. You can't look only at finance metrics. Ask any consolidator in our industry. No one has any metrics but financial. So it's P&L, top line, bottom line, EBITDA, that's all they care about. So I thought if you will focus on something more about people in the industry when there's not enough people, that will affect the financial metrics as well. So that's what I was trying to teach the consolidators. And we got a lot of traction on the business methodologies and zero on taking care of people. So about a year ago, I said, okay, we learned enough about it. There's no interest from them, but I think that we have something special here that we developed to actually take care of people 
and have a great business model behind it based on the people that you actually keep and invite and retain to do the work for you with you. Wow. Okay. I have like 10 follow-ups on that. But before we jump into those follow-ups, I ask everyone, I love the Incredible Hulk. So I ask everyone, you know, your veterinary origin story. So I just, you know, you're on camera. I'm not, I'm not. Cause I have this like giant 4k camera. When I put the camera on, I like overload my computer, but you look shocked. So anyway, I love the incredible Hulk. I've got just so you know, cause everyone else listening knows I've got just tens of thousands of dollars of Hulk memorabilia around me at all time. Big fan. So I always want to ask people, what's your veterinary origin story? Sort of like a superhero origin story. You know, the atomic bomb drops, hits Bruce Banner, unleashes the Hulk, radioactive spider bites Peter Parker's hand, unleashes Spider-Man. So, you know, you're born in Ukraine. How did you find your way to veterinary medicine? All right. So it's not as impressive as everybody says. When I was 10 years old, I wish there was some yeah, my animals since I was three. <laughs> So mine is I failed to get into med school. <laughs> so that's, that's my uh, uh, veterinary story. I like veterinary medicine for a particular reason. I, I love animals. It's not that, you know, this is not something I love, but that's not the reason. I really like chemistry, biology, physiology, everything related to, it was kind of all the, all the scientists that in high school that I liked, they were pointing towards medicine. And I had no idea that there is actually a profession as veterinarian. It's not well respected in Ukraine. So I wanted to go to vet, uh, med school, but I didn't have enough money. We were pretty poor when I was growing up. It was too expensive. So as the plan B, my mom told me, would you try the vet school, which I laughed at. And I said, only idiots do that. And then my friends who were all lawyers, KGB, and dentists, they were laughing at me because I will be sticking my hand up the cow's butt. So with that, I went to vet school, and I really liked certain subjects. I liked the surgery. I liked the science of it. I liked the investigation of it. That's the interesting part, just investigating what's wrong. It's almost like a CSI to me, finding out what's going on with the creature that can't speak. And when I came to Canada, which was 20 years ago, uh, almost precisely 20 years ago, I didn't want to tell anybody I'm a vet because all my friends were laughing at me. And then I realized, so I got my, a job at the vet clinic as part-time janitor, part-time kennel attendant. To get a full-time, I had to hold animals for four hours and then clean the clinic for another four until midnight. And I realized that vets are kind of respected people. And <laughs> this is like the whole profession here. They're called doctors. And they can build a decent career. So I was like, oh, well, it's a little different here. Maybe I should focus on my initial education. And I ended up going to the second vet school in Canada on PI. So that's sort of my atomic bomb. <laughs> well, you kind of dropped an atomic bomb there. You're like, all of my friends were dentists, KGB. You know, that would be like, yeah, all of my friends are marketers, CIA agents, SEO professionals, graphic designers. Like, <laughs> you threw that in so calmly. That was really impressive. Nice work. Okay, so you, you have this journey from being a vet. So you talked about it. You burnt out after 12 years. Guess what? No one's ever talked about burning out in veterinary medicine on this podcast. I'm just kidding. Everyone talks about it. So you and I were just saying before I hit record, you know, I was going over your notes with you talking about burning out, taking time away. You said you're dedicating your career to eliminating burnout from the veterinary profession. And by the way, just for the record, to be honest, just so everyone out there knows, I typically have a 
pretty tight relationship with a lot of people that come on here. You and I, I think I like know of you and you've actually sent people to Whisker Cloud over the years, which has been nice. And people are like, yeah, you know, I even said you guys are the best, which I've always appreciated, but you and I don't know each other extremely well. So I'm excited to talk about this because A, I like how honest you're already being. And, you know, I got to tell you, when I talk about veterinary medicine to people, I talk about an industry of people that, holy shit, no one on earth talks about being burnt out and fixing being burnt out more. And for eight years, that's been the conversation. And I've seen, sorry, I've seen very little change there. So I want to hear it from you, though. You're dedicating your career to this. I want to know, because you lived it. So what do we got to do in this? What do we have to do? And I give a fuck about this. I almost, I was like, should I say the F word? I'll say the F word. But I truly give a fuck about this industry and I want it to be better. So talk to me about like what you're doing with it and really talk to the people listening. Like, what do we have to do to finally change this? So, okay. Well, let's backtrack it a little bit from the origin. Yeah, please. It didn't take me all 12 years to burn out. It was like year six, I think. And I didn't know... It's like, oh, I think I'm burned out. That's not how that happens. And the worst part is that you just start hating every aspect of your life. And you don't associate it with work or, you know, situation at home. Or it's like altogether everything is shitty. And it was not like, a grad, you know, when you have a cough, you know how you have a cough. When you have a fever, you stick a thermometer and, you know, you have a fever. When you burn out, you just hate life. And that's a different symptom. So there's certain triggers to burnout. And this is something that I learned in the recent years. But at that time, I just started being disconnected from everything that interests me. No hobbies could interest me. I was taking on more and more and more shifts, felt like not appreciated, became cynical to my patients, became callous to euthanasias. Didn't really give a shit about anything and then you start to manipulate with your health you're trying to stay awake at night when you're working as the ER. you're trying to sleep during the day all of these things they kind of spiral but nothing is helping and nothing is going away whether you go on vacation take a nice weekend take a trip somewhere buy some stuff and try to fix it with you know shopping nothing fixes it and you just hate life more and more and more and you you kind of get into this trap where you're understanding that nothing you can do can make you happy, which essentially ended up for me with committing suicide. And I talk about it freely today because it's just a place where some people might be at. And I think that there's, it's sort of an end stage if you're successful. Fortunately, I wasn't, so I tried again. So actually I did it twice and I was resuscitated both times, but I was clinically dead. I don't want to make it dramatic like people like, and then I killed my, it's not that. It's just, that was actually a relief. It wasn't this struggle. The struggle was to actually find myself being happy. So it took, you know, a lot of therapy and help. And I came back with a, not sort of with a better sort of, you know, framework, I think. But I just kind of overcame that and realized that that's also not the answer. So th- this is kind of where I was. And then where things start improving, where I started looking for new goals, new things that I could do, that not only vet medicine is the one sort of path for me. And if I hate working in the clinics, I can build software. I can take another education, which I ended up doing. And while I was finishing with SmartFlow before I sold it to IDEX, I took an MBA course. 
And as the end of that MBA course, I was supposed to write a dissertation and I could pick a topic. So at that point, I felt a little better about my whole experience. And I realized that I'm not the only, I wasn't really open talking about it for a long time because that's kind of a bad place to be and embarrassing in a way. And I looked back and I realized that the industry is actually, I'm not the only one who's talking about it. And many people are more open about it. So I realized it's a systematic problem in the industry. So I thought, what is the solution to it? And is there a solution to it? So everything that we heard and you hear all the time is all the self-care and the yoga and meditation and compassion fatigue and then compassion resilience training and all of this stuff, which I think is of paramount importance, but it's kind of late. It's treating the disease when it's there. It's not preventative. So when I was already in a good place, I sold SmartFlow. I was at IDEX. I was looking for a topic for my dissertation. I realized that this is a problem. And I thought, can we find a solution to it? And not just kind of, you know, trying to be around it, kind of, you know, be soft about it. But is there a systematic approach to the industry where you can manage organizations better so people don't get to that state? So my... And it became a purpose in life. I'm looking for a definite, structured, and measurable way of fixing this as a preventative methodology. So that's what became my passion and purpose in life in 2019. I wrote a dissertation about it. We did a large-scale study, which we repeated now three years in a row. And then Galaxy is the result of it because I could not, when I articulated in those theses, I was trying to teach to consolidators, they weren't interested in that. I decided that if I want to pursue my passion and the purpose in life, then I will build an organization that will actually do this and we will be able to show measurable results how we combat that. That's a long story. Sorry. No, hey, hey, man, listen, I'm, I'm happy you're here talking to me on this podcast and getting ready for the cruise above all else. I mean, you know, I think that's the good thing is I've been in vet med for eight years and I haven't personally known anyone who we've lost to suicide, but I've seen, I don't know, a hundred plus posts from people. And I got to tell you something, this is a really sobering moment for the team here at Whisker Club. I mean, we, we manage thousands of websites for vets worldwide, and I can remember dozens where we've gotten an email like so-and-so, you know, can you please remove this person from our site? They took their own life yesterday. And it's like a very stressful, sad message to get. I can't tell you how many landing pages dedicated to vets that have lost their life to that we've had to create on people's websites. So it's definitely something that even from everyone, from our account managers to our support team is well aware of in this industry. And what's interesting is when I tell people what I do, I live in Newport Beach, California. It's a nice area. People are like, you know, hey, what do you do? I'm like, oh, you know, I, I'm the CEO of a software company that works with veterinarians worldwide. Everyone's like, what's that like? You never think about working with the vets. You just think about them when they're there to to carry your dog when they're not feeling well. And I say, man, they're just such interesting people. You know, they're, you know, they're really good at, you know, helping animals. And I always say the same thing. I'm like, I think the, the human and business side of being in the veterinary business is just really hard for a lot of people. It's a lot to take. The other thing I say to our support team a lot is, you know, hey, you're going to get emails. They're not always going to be nice. Just remember, you're sitting, you know, we're remote now since COVID. You get to sit at home in your air-conditioned house, and they're on the front lines doing that stuff. So it's sad to hear that, but I'm glad you made it to their side, and it's, it's cool that you're open about it. And I'll tell you, man, I was telling you this before I hit record. You know, A, 
you were part of it too, as the founder of a company, it is hard. And you're on an island all the time. I'm on an island all the time. I Eight years later, I still lose sleep over every little thing at Whisker Cloud, eight years later. I mean, I'm about as successful of a person as I could be for the path I chose. My life is better than I thought it would be. And it is still very stressful all the time. So I imagine, you know, being in clinics, especially being like independent practice owner, just has to be very hard for most people, right? Whether you own it or not, it's just a very hard business. There's actually an important part in what you said there. So a lot of people perceive burnout as too much work. And too much work is just one part of it. There's different slices of how people look at the burnout in general, but there's Christina Maslach actually identified those six triggers that we created a management around those. We're actually working against the particular triggers, but work overload is only one piece. And what you don't have is lack of control. So you being the CEO of your own company, you control the processes, you control how you do work, you don't have anybody micromanaging you. So that's a huge part on preventing burnout, having the autonomy in the tasks you do. And veterinarians that learned a lot of stuff of how to treat animals are restricted. With If you are in the independent practice, you're restricted by by what you can do with the finances that the customer has. Sometimes you're facing that you can help the pet, but you can't because they don't have money. And then they blame you for doing this profession only for money. And that you went to vet school. How many times I heard it in the ER that you went to this profession only to make money, which is not true at all. That's lack of control. Then conflict of values. I'm sure you've built your organization around the core values that you have. That just naturally happens in culture forms around the leader. And again, that's another reason why a lot of veterinarians lose well, they burn out because they don't have alignment on core values, especially during the consolidation. When the hospital is acquired by another organization that doesn't give a shit about people, only cares about the finances, the core values that you maybe got a job with the person who sold this clinic is not anymore. There's no alignment. They're constantly underappreciated in terms of rewards. So veterinarians are underpaid, and especially technicians who are more burned out than veterinarians. And then there is unfairness, which is another trigger that happens in the hospitals. And the lowest EQ industry is veterinary. So we have no community sense. We don't know how to receive or give feedback. And we have very poor conflict resolution skills. Those are six out of six things that are classic triggers of burnout. And I think they're all mixing in into veterinary professions. So that's why I think they're kind of facing what's happening in the industry. Yeah, I agree with you. You know, this industry, it's just tough. You know, like I said, I, I'm not a vet. I, I jumped into this industry because I wanted to help because my dogs and cat are my life. And, you know, my wife and I, those are our kids. And this is really what I wanted to do is help those people. And it's interesting, just in my weekly conversations, like there's two things I notice. In my weekly conversations, I probably talk to 25 veterinary professionals a week. The thing I always tell my wife is none of them are happy. And it's always like shocking, even when we're talking about like exciting things. Hey, your ads did well. Hey, you doubled revenue this month. No one's ever happy ever. And I always just find that so wild. I think the second thing is, you know, I see the way that people email my account managers, email my salespeople, email my support team. And it's wild. It feels like it's this chain where they get treated poorly from pet parents, which is a huge other issue. And then sort of like the chain reaction to where then like my team got emails. I mean, I looked at emails that came in like Christmas morning that were like 
vicious that were odd that didn't make a lot of sense we're recording this on december 27th i try to like never date these podcasts but i just said christmas morning so if i don't say that it's december 27th that's awkward but it's this this weird thing and i'm glad we have people like you in the industry that are fighting so hard and using research and using you know listening to other smart people who talk about like how we manage business how we manage emotions to help veterinary medicine because I get worried about the future of veterinary medicine a lot. You know, there's a shortage. There's a lot of burnout. The basis of veterinary medicine is wonderful. I mean, I'm sitting here next to my 10 and a half year old Boston Terrier. He's wearing a hoodie because he has allergy issues. This little guy is my whole life. You know, he means the world to me. He's not feeling well. So I'm going to be calling my vet to get him in this week to check on his allergy stuff. And like the basis of everything is so great, but business is hard. And you're right. It's just like there's so much more to it than just making sure Baxter's allergy is okay. And it's just a lot for a lot of people to take. It's funny that you, well, not too funny, that you mentioned about Christmas. So Christmas Eve and Christmas Day were the worst two days in my year when I was as a vet every year. Because Everybody who comes into emergency usually have no money. They spend all the money on Christmas presents and everything else. And all of a sudden their cat chewed on the Christmas tree or their dog was overfed with the turkey stuff. Like it's just constant stuff that's coming in. Nobody has money. So one Christmas Eve, I euthanized 12 pets in a row. There's 12 pets that could not afford care. And I had to basically kill them in one day. So Christmas is never a happy day for the veterinarians, especially for emergency vets. And then for the most part, you're blamed on all of this stuff. It's not them who gave the, you know, too much of fat to their dog and now it's dying from pancreatitis. It's not you that you decorated the tree and let your cat to eat on the ornaments. And that's kind of how it goes. But I think there's, as any problem that is so, so prominent, there will be a solution to it. There's no, this world figure out solutions for everything. So this is something, whether it's us, whether it's someone else, we're taking a stab at this, but it's going to be sorted out. I think it needs more systematic approach than it has been. Everybody's talking about burnout, and that's why you're hearing it on all the podcasts. Everybody's burnout, burnout, burnout. What do you do about it, and how do you measure it, and how do you actually make progress and then go back and say, hey, this is from point A to point B, we did this and that worked. So let's all of us do that. That's, I think, what was missing from our industry to date. In the last five years, do you see real progress on getting to the other side of that? I can't say as an industry, because that wouldn't be fair. I know that the sector in which I was trying to make an impact in consolidators I haven't seen systematic approach to it. I have seen initiatives of hiring psychologists for a group, having meditation rooms set up. There's initiatives. I haven't seen measurable results. That's my main thing because now it's in fashion to talk about it. And we were consulting clinics and the consolidators, they all get excited about it. Like, oh yeah, we're all about the burnout. And then you ask them one specific question. That's what I tell all the sellers to ask the buyers and ask them one question, what do you do about the burnout? And when they say we do a lot, just ask them how do you measure success and what is that number that you talk about in a weekly meeting with your leadership team? Just ask them, what is the number that you're looking at and saying burnout control is, you know, is under control this week because of this number? What is that number? And you will get 100%, there's no number in our industry. So until we get someone who actually does something that is measurable, 
I don't think we'll have an answer because it's too subjective to say we're making progress or not. I agree with you. That's really subjective. Again, like this is what I love about Whisker Cloud, and no one really sees it this way. But like my goal in life is to automate the world. I'm obsessed with AI and robotics, but I also, I I can tell you this seriously, there's maybe 5% of our customers use Whisker Cloud to the full capability, even though we do nothing but put out content, send out emails, social posts, you know, one-on-ones with customers, just talking about, hey, put your forms online, you know, use something like a Vetstoria for online booking, use a pet desk for reminders, like do all of these little things and, and have the phones ring less and automate new client forms, automate appointment booking, you know, take away some of the monotonous back and forth all the time and just make things a little bit more streamlined and make it easier to on your front desk people, on your practice managers. I mean, that's how I want to, my contribution to veterinary medicine thus far and in the future is really just figuring out how to make things streamlined because my assumption is the toughest part of the day. Like you told the story about like putting down the cats, man. See, I couldn't be a vet because a, I would want to fist fight every single person that came in and did stupid shit with their pets. Like, I just don't think I would do it. You know, someone came in and said, Oh, my dogs did eight X, Y, and Z. Like I don't have the temperament. Ivan, you just found out how much I love the Hulk. I can promise you, man, it would not go well if someone came in and was like, yeah, my dog ate this. I'd say, what are you stupid? What's wrong with you? Why would you allow your dog to get to that? So anyway, for everyone out there listening, Hey, this is why I'm not a vet. Couldn't do it. But you know, my contribution is wanting to take some of that stuff away through, you know, we manage social media for veterinary clinics. We want to put out educational content through blogs. We want to make it easy for people to book appointments. Like everything I want to do is to make all veterinary businesses streamlined, easy, and realistically, Tell me if I'm crazy here. This is what I do at Whisker Cloud, and I preach this so hard, and I repeat myself daily, it feels like. There's two things I always talk about. One is, let's not have surprises. I never want to be on defense. I never want to be backpedaling. We're on offense always. We should know what's coming at all times. We should always be prepared. I'll tell you something. We prepared for 60 days for this holiday season. I would give our team a C. They got holiday hours up. They did the stuff they were supposed to. We didn't anticipate the craziness that would come over the weekend. Once we saw that the weather was getting bad last week, I thought we could have done a little bit more. It's just tough. You know, we had half of our company traveling, but also like we could have been more ready. I think the second thing that I preach all the time is, you know, everyone talks about, oh, I'm just drinking from a fire hose or, oh, there's so much stuff going on. There's fires. I got to put out the fires. I say this all the time. I'm not asking you to get a bigger hose. I'm asking you to stop the fires from happening. And I'm really big on that. Do vet hospitals think that way? You know, in the day to day, do they think about how to be ready for anything and how to be prepared for anything? No, absolutely not. It's all about putting out fires and dealing with the with a day-to-day thing, you know, I was just dealing with one of the hospitals that we have, but it's not about that hospital. It's about the hospitals in general. There's an expected, you just said seasonal. So there's an expected notion that, you know, November, December, maybe January can become slow. So therefore the industry just accepts this and says, okay, this is low season. Our revenue will tank. Well, you as a marketer probably understands that that's when you double down on marketing, make a couple campaigns, make a discount and make a you know Christmas smile special and do a dental with a 20% discount and fill up the schedule by pushing marketing. That's something that way. So it's not something that they approach and it's, it's not because they're not capable. They're, most of them are brilliant people, but it's because there's just no time to 
stand up and look in the future, understand the strategy, understand where you're going, look at the values, look like things that are strategic. They're just, you know, they became a vet and then they're in this putting out fire mode all the time with everything that's falling on them. And now that there is way more pets than vets out there and through COVID making it even worse. But you reminded me, you know, I want to tell you two stories and you can erase one of them because it's kind of gross. But you said, you know, if someone comes in and they fed their dog this and their cat that, that's stupid. But what if people come in and I had it repeatedly that people come in and basically start talking about their cat being old and kind of looking to the side and like, well, he's really old and we don't know what to do. And then you find out that they're moving and it's an inconvenience for them to bring the cat with them. And they just decide to kill it, their pet that they've been with for eight years, because they're moving to a new apartment or house or driving across the country. And they just want to murder their part of the family. And they want you to be that instrument. That's not just doing that. Or this is my one of the most horrific stories. I was this when I was a janitor in Toronto at <laughs> the Vic Clinic. So this lady came in. And she had this Rottweiler, very strong, big dog, like very beautiful, beautiful dog. She had a newborn and then she was in tears. And she's like, I don't know what to do because this dog is kind of interested in the baby and like just sniffing him. And like, I'm just horrified if anything happens. And it was just like, I think that was just recent on the news that actually golden retriever out of old breeds attacked the child. And it was like all over the news. And then she was just like, she was in tears and she didn't know what to do. So the vet ended up euthanizing her dog at request. And it was kind of like, well, what do you do? So it was a really tough decision for a vet. So the vet ended up doing it. And then a couple hours later, the ex-husband, who was the actual owner of the dog, came in. Oh, oh shit. Oh, God. Yep. Yep. She totally lied and killed his dog as a revenge and lying the whole story through. Oh, That's what humans are capable of. Hey, you're preaching to the choir on that. I said this once before, like I would be in jail. And then after the podcast, I think it went live and I'm like, shit, did people, did I just like make it sound like I would like murder someone? Although I got to tell you, if someone lied and, and one of my dogs lost their lives over it, there'd be a John Wick situation for sure. Those are the types of stories. I'm not kidding you, man. When you were just saying that, I had my hands over my face and I wear an Apple watch because I have like high blood pressure and stress and yada, yada. And as you were telling that story, well, I'm sitting here looking at my heart rate. My heart rate hit 128 when you were like the ex-husband came in and she lied. My, my heart rate shot up. Even hearing that, this is why I could never work in the clinic because that would be so bad so fast. Well, here's a good story to, to bring you in. <laughs> right. Maybe yeah, please. The <laughs> so there was this, again, emergency night. You know, I'm looking through cases and cases. And this owner, she was just mean to everybody. Staff, reception. And the dog is puking its guts out. And I'm like, look, we took x-rays. We're looking at this. And I'm like, I'm not like, it, it wasn't clear that it was a foreign body. I'm like, these symptoms so acute, like there's gotta be something. And I kind of can see it on the x-ray, but I'm just, I'm not certain. So I need to convince her into doing, and it was emergency and I didn't have access to ultrasound or ultrasonographer. So, you know, as an old school, you can offer an exploratory laparotomy, which is you're doing surgery to find out is there a foreign body. So I'm like, look, this is the best that I can probably do. And we could be negative. There could be nothing there, but at least we'll clear that, take biopsies and stuff. And 
And she was just nasty. She didn't have the money. She wanted to do it, but she's just sitting in the reception, yelling at everybody. She's like, there's no way there's a foreign body. We've watched this dog all the time. And she's just unhappy all the time. And then she was complaining that she was not going in front of others. And they were like trauma patients that came in and hit by cars and stuff. And she was complaining that her vomiting dog is not going first based on triage. So everybody, the whole clinic was just fed up with this person. We're going into surgery and I remove three used tampons from the intestinal tract. Oh, jeez. Oh, God. <laughs> so then I ended up, because everybody was so fed up with it, I ended up putting it into the clear Ziploc bag, brought it to the front, handed it off to her in front of everybody and said, these are the foreign bodies that we extracted from your dog. <laughs> so that was my little revenge. Yeah, well, that did not help my heart rate go down. I promise <laughs> no. you. So let me ask you a question that I've never asked on the podcast. So let's say, like, if there's like serious neglect or serious bullshit with a owner, like do vets ever just say like, Hey, you're not getting this dog back. Like, I don't care. We're, we're keeping the dog. What type of line does that cross? So it depends on the law. I had to do it. So there's sometimes you try to convince them to do it. And there's sometimes you have to do it. So again, this is not very funny, but kind of silly story. So I was on emergency shift at Hamilton, Ontario and this, he was a foreigner, so he was a newcomer, and he found these two turtles in the wild, and he kept them. And you can't keep pets that are in the wild, at least in Ontario. You can't keep the natural habitat as a pet. You're just not allowed. But he had these two turtles that he put outside in a little fenced area for the environmental enrichment overnight. But he didn't realize that then the predators can come overnight, and they're perfectly in this fenced area. These turtles have nowhere to go. So when he brought these two turtles, one was missing all four legs because raccoon got oh, God. the turtle. And another one was missing three. So it could just, it only could spin using one of them. And he said, can you fix this? So not only I was like raging angry at the guy because A, he took the natural habitat into home and B, basically exposed this pet to their predator overnight and let them torture the turtles. And now he's asking me to fix it. So I said, we're out of fresh prosthetics for turtles today. That I had to confiscate from him and unfortunately put down both turtles, which is extremely hard. If you will look it up, you should Google it. It's like, I didn't know actually, even though I had two vet educations, you almost cannot put down the turtle. It's really difficult. But there are also situations where people don't want to treat their pet or you know that there's something going on so this is how i adopted one and only pet i had in my life and i never never had another one because it was a little chihuahua that broke its leg and they just said it was 11 months old it was one kilogram so two pound little creature and they're like no we can't afford it and it was like 1500 bucks we quoted something little for that type of repair which 1500 bucks is little and they're like no no, no we don't want to fix it let's just put it down I was like, what do you mean? I'm like, it's a chihuahua. Let's just leave it alone. It'll be a little crooked. It will heal. This dog is never, never going to do racing. So it's like, <laughs> it's a chihuahua. It's going to sit in your purse just like it used to. And they were like, well, we didn't want a dog anyway, so let's just put it down. So I ended up just offering them. I said, look, we'll take this dog and you will never see it again. So we will fix it. It will have a new life. So they ended up signing it over. And that's how all the technicians and the vets 
end up with gazillion pets at home because they want to rescue a lot of pets that people can't afford or questionable. But I don't know if there's an enforceable way. You can contact the animal services. Potentially, there's a clear abuse, but you don't have really control over it beyond that. So those are the two situations I've been at. And I ended up adopting a one-kilogram chihuahua named Peanut. Uh, it was my uh, manly uh, friend. Yeah, so that was my only pet that I ever had. You know, I'm sitting here listening to all this, sitting in a chair. I'm not moving. I've already walked quite a bit today. I take my dogs on a couple-mile walk at the beach every morning. My Apple Watch told me I just closed my move goal. I really think it's because my heart is racing so much that I'm like setting off my move goal on my Apple Watch because I hear this stuff. It's like infuriating to me. So again, like this is what I say. And by the way, we have, it's a thousandth of 1% of customers or people at Whisker Cloud that just enrage us. I mean, I hope my whole team is listening to this because you know i always remind them like hey you get frantic emails like you don't know what they go through every day this is a really good example of that like i said i definitely definitely don't have the temperament to be even remotely near a veterinary clinic because like the couple times i have gone in i've been like so overwhelmed so quick i'm just like nope no way the stories are infuriating but also you know it's like i always talk about the infuriating stuff is what you're meant to hear like if we turn a blind eye to it then the whole world turns a blind eye to it. You know, I stopped eating meat seven years ago. And, you know, there were a couple of things that led me to it. One was my doctor was like, hey, I owned another company before Whisker Cloud. I was stressed. Doctor's like, hey, man, you're really stressed. I want you to cut out red meat. I cut out red meat. Then I saw, I watched a couple documentaries on like where food comes from here in the U.S. And I was like, going to vomit. And I was like, you know, okay. And then I saw a video of a slaughterhouse and what they how they torture cows. And I was just like... I'm done. I'm a pescatarian. I only eat fish. And even that sometimes is tough for me. You know, and I show those types of videos to my wife and I showed her this video of the cow. You know, they went to kill the cow. Cow didn't work. They hit it over the head, like right in the forehead twice with a sledgehammer and it kept going. And I just said to her, yeah, yeah, sorry. There's no fucking prime rib or or burger or steak that is ever going to be worth that to me ever. And no one will ever tell me that that probably doesn't happen to 10,000 cows a day in this country. So I was like, I'm out. You know, know, my wife still eats meat from time to time. I have no ill will. If she needs me to grill her a steak, I'll grill her a steak. I'll cry while I grill her the steak, but I still grill her the steak. But, you know, my point of this story is just we can't turn a blind eye to the the horrible shit that happens in this world, whether it's, you know, seeing pictures of war or, you know, pictures of stories of what happens to animals or inequality here in the United States. You know, if we turn a blind eye to this stuff or just kind of accept it for that's the way it is, it's never going to be good. So I'm, I'm one that always likes to like dive deep into this stuff. And that's why I appreciate you telling these stories because these stories are infuriating to me, but it's also, you know, I think everyone in veterinary medicine, I think we're all the main character in our own life. And we all tend to think that we're the one dealing with shit. I mean, I got to tell everyone listening and Ivan, you probably know this, Being the CEO is a fucked up job. It sucks. It is not fun, period. It's not fun. Sorry. I don't want to burst everyone's bubble. I don't have fun. I love what I do. I'm passionate beyond belief of what I do. Trust me. I mean, I'm just really excited that you came on and talked about this stuff. And, you know, the one thing I want veterinary medicine to do, though, is just to hear these stories and learn from it and figure out the steps we all need to take to be better. I do that every day. My job is very hard all the time. This morning has been very tough. You know what happens 
when half the country has horrible weather and I have 50 employees that are all over the country and half are stuck at airports and half are stuck with bad weather. I have, you know, 20% of my company out because of crazy shit. And I have 80% of my company who has to pick up hundred percent of the work. It's not fun. I was supposed to be off today. I'm not off today because I want my team to see if they're picking up 20% of the work, they're not alone. I'm on the front lines with them. So now I'm at work. Sorry to my wife. But like I said, man, I appreciate everything you said. You know, it's interesting about CEO. When we were building Smartful, there was kind of a big startup for me. I never understood, like, what do you do? What is the job description of a CEO? So I actually read a book. I don't remember what the book was, but it was something about CEO. It was the dumbest thing. I just picked up the book because it says how to be a CEO. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I read it. I don't remember anything of it. It was a long, horrible book. But I remember two things. One, what is your job description as a CEO? I love it because now I use it all the time. You have two main jobs, making sure you have the best people and there's money in the bank. That's it. Those are the two, the two jobs that you have to excel at. And the second thing that I read there that really resonated with me, and I always remember it, is because just like you said, it sucks to be a CEO. There's a lot of rewarding stuff. You're, you know, especially if you're innovation, especially if you're changing lives, if you're changing industries, it's, it's exciting. If you're creating jobs, the, all of that stuff is exciting to me. But the reason why it's really tough is because it's very lonely. There's no another CEO of Whisker Clouds out there where you can compare the notes and say, hey, what did you do in this case? When this got fucked up on December 27th, as today, what did you do? You don't have anybody to get a reference point and say, hey, this is what we're gonna do because so-and-so did this last time. There's zero people out there that manage your company. So I think that's why it's so tough, but at the end of the day, if you're achieving your goals in life, then, then you should be happy. Love that. And you're right. You know, I think one thing that vet med can take away from this, and I've said this to so many vet professionals all the time when I, you know, they're like, Hey man, I don't know. I'm just a vet. I'm always like, just shut up. You're a business owner. Guess what? You can call yourself, you know, veterinarian practice owner. You're the practice owner. You're the CEO of your business. Title might change, but you run the show. It doesn't really matter how great of a vet you are. I think that's important, but you have to be smart. You have to get the right technology stack. You have to staff for the right people. You need to care about the culture. It's really hard. I know that most vet hospitals don't have an accounting department, an HR department. So a lot falls on you. We've all been there, but you know, what Ivan said is right. I have no one else to talk to. I mean, I have partner companies at Vetstoria and Petdesk, you know, who are now Whisker Club partners as of this year. And Taylor Cavanaugh, the CEO of Petdesk and I are very close. And Julian, the CEO of Vetstoria and I are very close. And we all compare notes, but we're all, you know, we all deal with different things all the time. So at least in vet med, you know, I feel like there's a lot of good communication out there, but there's also, you know, we have a lot of people who are out here just kind of spouting off bullshit all the time. So this has been great to have you on and kind of talk through all this stuff. And, you know, I appreciate it. And I hope, you know, this has been such a real episode that I'm really hoping everyone can walk away from this and just realize like, Hey, there's other people going on through stuff. And, you know, you heard what Ivan went through and now he's here on the other side and like, really think about that. And I'm talking fast because he's got to get on this cruise and I'm stressed about it. But you know, it's like he got out of vet med, almost lost his life twice. And he came back to this industry that should give a lot of people out there who are like fed up with veterinary medicine some hope that he gave a shit enough to come 
back and keep fighting the fight when for, I think for a lot of people, it would have been like, I'm getting the fuck out of there. I'm out of here. I don't want to mess with that. So I think that's really cool. And, you know, when you got someone like him who had a company acquired, started another company, was a vet, like he's done all these things. He's still here fighting. I think that's uh, really exciting stuff, man. So I really appreciate you being here and, you know, I'll ask you one last thing. Where can people find you? How can they learn more about you? How can they connect with you? All of that stuff. Well, thank you for all those nice things. And uh, yeah, definitely uh, had a chance to leave the profession. I am passionate about the people that work in it. And I am truly passionate about finding this solution. So nothing would be better for me than finding 10 years later that people actually found a way to manage their work and the vet clinics and just the teams and just be happier. So that's what I'm about. We can, you can find us, uh, if you can spell my last name, which is actually much longer than Zach, so it's Zach Karenkoff. Oh, quick story on that. Because I have a long last name and nobody can pronounce it, I thought maybe people don't like seeing a weird Russian kind of person <laughs> sending you an email. So I tested it. I did a marketing campaign for about 2,500 emails, split it in half. AB tested it, 17.5% less open email with my absolutely identical email with my full last name. So I decided to shorten it to Zach. <laughs> so, so stupid, um, but it's amazing. <laughs> so Ivan Zakarinkov, you can find me on LinkedIn. And if you want to learn about Galaxy and what we do, we're at galaxybets.com. We're doing some amazing things in burnout prevention. Everybody in the company is a shareholder, by the way. So all the staff from custodians to technicians to doctors are shareholders. We share equity with everybody. And if you want to find out how to work happier, that's with us. So please uh, find us online. And yeah. Awesome, Ivan. Well, thank you so much for being here. Um, looking forward to catching up after your trip and Hey, go enjoy that cruise and everyone out there listening. Don't forget to like, share, subscribe, go follow whisker cloud on social media. We've got like 20 posts that are coming out in the next couple of weeks on automation, QR codes, marketing, custom forms, all of that fun stuff. So everyone have a great end of year and Ivan and go enjoy the cruise. Thanks man. And uh, thank you for inviting me to this. <laughs>